can you guys hear me? Is that okay? Okay. Okay, sorry. Um, I, w I was an intelligent kid, but I still ended up making choices that exposed myself and my entire Christian college campus to the potential of being um, a, a potential sexual predator. I gave them all of my real, real name, real information, login information to the school campus. And so one of the things that I've been studying over the past year is this, this process of what's called grooming. And I don't know if you all have heard of it before. But historically, I feel like the church is kind of 10 years behind the curve when it comes to addressing issues like this. Like, we're just now talking about women struggling with pornography when I was introduced to pornography almost 20 years ago. So we're a little behind. And the new big trend right now that our teenagers are facing um, is this idea of, we call it porn 2.0, and it's this, this self-generated pornography where these teenagers are generating their own because pornography is normal for them. And I was talking with some of your youth team last night, and for our generation, for the, the millennials, which are people like in their 30s-ish, um, we knew life before tech. You know, like we had real childhoods where we went to the friend's house, knocked on the door, and asked if they could please come play. And we went to the park, and we played, like, and then we have the next generation, today's teenagers, who really have grown up with technology in their hands. And it's exposing them to unfortunate, creepy people. And that's not to say that everybody who's online is a creepy person. Okay, the internet's not a bad, evil, horrible place. Um, but I've been studying this process of, how do these kids get sucked into these, these horrible situations? And I, I thought of sharing this, this story, the video for this story, but if you have a time this afternoon and you really feel like ripping your guts out, um, you can look up a story called Kaylee's Love Story um, on YouTube. And it's the story of Kaylee Haywood. And Kaylee Haywood is 15 years old. And on October 31st, 2015, Kaylee got a Facebook message from a stranger. Within two weeks, Kaylee was convinced that this stranger loved her. Kaylee ran away from home. She snuck away from home to meet with this stranger. He sexually assaulted her, handed her off to his next-door neighbor, who took her out into the woods, raped her, and killed her. Fifteen years old, and within 15 days, she went from being a normal 15-year-old to someone who was completely taken advantage of. And how does that process happen? And that process is called the grooming process. It's the process used by sexual predators. It's the process um, used by pedophiles. It's, it's the process of kind of desensitizing somebody. And why is that important? It's not important because this is a statistical issue. I think as parents, I'm not a parent, so when I say that, I'm not identifying with you. <laughs> but I was a high school teacher and worked with teenagers, and I think our reaction sometimes can be, oh, my goodness, big, bad, scary, take away the phones, take away the computers, stop at this from possibly happening. Um, but think about how, how you train your children to deal with other issues. You know, your kids can get in car accidents. Is the response to take away the car and make sure they never drive? And the answer is no. The response is to make sure that you monitor their driving. There's a process. I don't know how it is in Texas. I know how it was in Ohio when I grew up, that you have to drive with a responsible adult for like six months in the passenger seat. You can't have other kids with you. I don't know how it works here. But there's a process that we kind of guide them through. So 
I'm not coming in today to scare you. I'm coming in to you today to show you how the gospel actually affects this process and how if we embrace the gospel and the role of parenting, we actually can help today's kids become what I call ungroomable. And it doesn't mean that they're never going to be approached. It doesn't mean that they can't make these mistakes. But the the things that are taken advantage of in the grooming process are holes that are filled by the gospel, are holes that can be filled by healthy families. So really quick, the grooming process happens in six stages. Um, the first stage is that obviously a groomer, um, whoever that might be, a predator, will pick a victim. And they pick a victim based on their vulnerability. So they are looking for things like emotional neediness. Okay, is this somebody who just really needs attention? They just really are craving attention. Isolation. Is this a kid who kind of, when they're standing around the playground, they're looking for the kids who are kind of off, sad in the corner. And low self-confidence. This is huge for teenage girls. Okay, I work with teenage girls primarily. And this one is huge for them. And this is really what they asked me to come in and speak on today. And then I'm reading off of... Um, a website that they're citing different, there's different government agencies that completely focus on this process to catch pedophiles, to understand how their psyche works and understand what they're doing. Um, and the one that they note here, children with less parental oversight are more desirable prey. Um, the second step in this process is to gain the victim's trust. So they don't sweep in and just try to steal the kid away. They try to befriend not only the child, but the gatekeepers. And the gatekeepers are the parents. So they will not only try to befriend your child, which could be a teenager, but they will also try to befriend you. Now think about how this happens online. Online completely cuts out the need for that step. As parents, you don't even have to know who this person is for your child to be interacting with them. Um, the next thing that these, these people will do, groomers will do, is they will fill a need. They will figure out what that child needs, and it doesn't have to be material. It can be emotional. And then they will work to fill it. And the, the child, the teenager, the person will start to depend on them to fill that need. And you will start to connect to that person as a, a need filler. And then that the groomer will begin to pull their victim away from their family and away from people. And you'll hear girls say, well, you don't understand mom and dad. He cares for me. You don't understand. He loves me. And that's them pulling. And he'll, or she, sometimes it can be women, will plant ideas in their minds of, oh, your parents are just killjoys. And just slowly pull them away. They don't understand where you are. Maybe you've heard your teenagers say things like that. And they're causing them to be dependent on them. I had a friend who, as an adult, I'm 31, she's a little bit older than I am, was actually groomed as an adult. Um, terrified me. She met him online, met him on a, a Christian website for singles and a dating website. And obviously having studied this, he knew I studied this. He figured that out and he began to plant in her stuff about me 
to keep her from coming to me and to pull her away from me, pulled her away from all of her friends there, isolated her from her family, got her to move away from all of us, and attempted to kill her. Um, made her marry him, like manipulated the whole situation, and then attempted to kill her. And we basically had to go in and rescue her. And she was humiliated because she was like 33 when this happened. And how does this kind of stuff happen? The next stage is that they sexualize the relationship. So it doesn't necessarily start off as something sexual. If it started off as something sexual, that would immediately be red flags everywhere. And even the children would understand that that's wrong. But they start to sexualize it, and they start it slowly. Um, they might do, oh, we're going to go do a pool party, and they need to help your child change into their swimsuit. Something really not horrible, but they'll just start and they'll see how the child responds to it or see how the teenager responds to it. In teenager cases, they'll say something like, send me nude photos. When your child would say no, they would say, well, come on, you know, everyone's doing it. We were talking about this yesterday. I was speaking at a conference yesterday. 26-year-old woman met a guy online on an online dating website, gave him her phone number, and within an hour, he was asking her for nude photos. And she said, absolutely not. And he said, but you gave me your phone number. <laughs> and? <laughs> like, normal people can give out phone numbers, and it doesn't mean I get to take off my clothes for you. But this is the culture that people are, are being brought up in that is here today, that a phone number is basically equivalent to being okay with sleeping with somebody. And then they will work on maintaining control of a relationship. They'll threaten, they'll isolate, they'll say they're going to kill the family. Now, all of a sudden, when the child or whoever it is is like, I think this is a bad idea, then they threaten to keep them. So how does the gospel speak into this process? Because I feel like as Christians, we are uniquely equipped to help stop this process. And that's what I want to talk all the way back at step one, making, how do we make our families less likely to have potential targets in them? How do you shore up your children so that they are less likely to be an attractive target to somebody? So how many of you have kids, oh my goodness, that are under the age of five? Anybody? Um, what about between the ages of like six and ten? Okay, you're just going to get all these categories here. Yeah, <laughs> just, just keep my hand up. <laughs> um, Ten to thirteen, so our preteens. God bless you all. Thirteen through eighteen. Uh, yeah, you guys are. You should just come down here and leave this. <laughs> so we have a, a variety of of ranges, and the big question that I get asked when I'm here is, how soon is too soon to talk to our kids about this kind of stuff? And back in the day, I think 2008, the study was that kids are exposed to pornography and sexual material online at the age of 11. A lot has happened since 2008, namely smartphones. Um, they believe now, sexual therapists believe now, that the age of exposure is between four and six. Between four years old and six years old, um, one sexual therapist, she was doing everything right. Obviously, she's a a sex therapist, her son was exposed to pornography by a kindergarten classmate who brought his phone to school. So this is, this is a real problem, and I know that the reaction can kind of be, that's it, we're going to put them in a bubble, and we're going to keep them safe from everybody, bubble wrap, we're going to go off the grid, 
We're, we're not even going to go to the store. We're planting the garden out back. Like, we're done. Okay? <laughs> That's it. <laughs> that can be the reaction that we have. But that doesn't speak to the needs that this culture is trying to fill. This culture is happening because we have children that are being raised up with a need for relationship and a confusion that finding that online and establishing the sexual connection with people online is somehow better than establishing that in real life with, with real people. And one of the things that they wanted me to talk about is the importance of fathers in just the importance of really family in, in this whole process. You will have a lot of girls who are victimized who come from broken homes. I come from a broken home. My dad is gone. Um, on his, he left. He's not like dead, but he, he left. But you'll have a lot of girls who come from great homes too that get into this. So how do we raise up kids who can stand against the lies and who can recognize the tricks and who can look at pornography and all of those promises there or look at a sexual predator and all of the things they're promising and say, my family's better than that. Because that's ultimately the, the best deterrent is to create a home environment where your children are safe to talk to you about whatever has happened. If your five-year-old has seen pornography in school, is there a context for them that is filled with grace for them to be able to come home and somehow communicate to you? You don't have to say, this is pornography. Your five-year-old does not need to know the word pornography. Because then it's like Santa. You know, they go into school and they tell all their friends, and then before you know it, you just like destroy the kindergarten classroom. But <laughs> then you're going to have every parent in the world mad at you. And I know a lot of homeschoolers are here, so, right? Who homeschools? Oh, good. Okay, I'm not quite as off. Okay, all right. So that makes me feel a little bit better. But even in churches, like even if they come to Sunday school here or they come play dates, you don't want them batting around words like pornography when they're you know, this big. So how do we create cultures at home where our kids feel safe to come to us at whatever stage they are and feel safe to open up about those struggles? I will tell you that my mom and I, to this day, I am 31 years old, and my mom and I have never, ever, ever talked about sex. Like, I think by this point she knows that I know what it is. But, but when I was a teenager, um, she had no idea I was struggling with pornography. She found out once. My mom found out once, and I love her dealing. My mom lost her mind. She saw it populate on the Internet back in the day, dial up, and she's online, and it came up in the little address bar. And she pulled me into her room, tears streaming down her face, and she said, how could you do this to me? What have I done wrong? What did I do? How did I fail you as a parent? I was 13. I don't have, like, I didn't write a book on parenting. I was like, I have no idea. It had nothing to do with you. And so I think the first thing that we need to embrace as adults, understanding that the culture of the world around us is that we grow up and we are influenced by that culture and your kids are going to sin. And the, the experts say that it's not a matter of if they see pornography, it's more of a matter of just when. And, that's, and I think understanding that there needs to be a grace even for, for that moment and that it's not about how well you parented them. 
And so if I can extend that grace to you as parents, your kids find pornography, they see pornography, their friends show it to them, that's not a reflection on you as a parent. What happens next is the reflection on you as a parent. Does that make sense? So you're not going to be able to keep them from ever finding it. You're not going to be able to keep them from ever seeing it. You're not going to be able to keep them. I have a friend whose four-year-old daughter is at daycare right now. She, you know, she goes to preschool. And she came home the other day and said, Mommy, so-and-so wants to see my panties. They obviously don't, you know, they didn't send their daughter off to preschool like, have fun, you know. But they've created this environment where their daughter is okay coming home and saying, so-and-so asked, you know, and she's clueless, right? She's four, okay? It's like the most exciting thing. It's like, so-and-so ate boogers today. Like, it's the best thing. Like, it's just, it's just a normal part of her everyday life. But how you respond to that moment matters. If she comes forward and she says, so-and-so wants to see this, or if your son comes up and says, my friend showed me this, the tendency can be to freak out because as adults, as people who see culture, as people who see society, we know where this can lead. And our reaction can be, oh my goodness, you tell them never again. And then we try to drop it and we assume that that's enough. But what I want to encourage you as parents to do is that next step is where you can show grace and that next step is so important. And I think about the verse, I think it's James chapter 1. Um, I don't really have like this isn't your typical Sunday school class, okay? So, <laughs> in case you were wondering. Um, James chapter 1, verse 5. And it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. And I just think about how we're called in our families, and especially fathers, to model the, the love and the goodness of God. And here is this promise that we have that if we lack wisdom in a certain situation, we can come to God and he gives us that wisdom. He doesn't berate us for asking. He gives us the wisdom that we're asking for. And he, he gives it to us because he, he generously gives it to us. He doesn't just say no. Like, that's not it's. He gives us wisdom. He doesn't necessarily give us answers. He gives us wisdom. So how can you instill wisdom in your children? What is the best way to do that? And what we can try to do is, okay, you can't do this online. You can't do this online. But listen to me, sin will always be changing. It's ever evolving, right? So if you're always worried about what's on the do not do list, that do not do list is always going to change. Instead... How can you tell your children what to do and what is good and what is right? So how are you instilling healthy sexuality even in your smallest of children? You say, oh, Jessica, I don't want to talk to my four-year-old or five-year-old about sex. I'm not telling you to talk to them about sex. I am telling you to talk to them about their bodies and what's safe and what's, what's not okay to touch and what is okay to touch. I am telling you that when they're little to begin to, and I loved, I don't know if he's in here. I don't recognize anybody from yesterday. It's all the blur. <laughs> but I was speaking with um, one of the youth leaders, Haddon's husband. Who? Colin. Colin. Do you know who Colin is? Does he sound familiar? Okay. Colin is a, a Christian counselor, very smart. I was learning all about 
golden retrievers and electric floors being shocked and all kinds of behavioral patterns and analysis and stuff. But one of the things he, he said, and I love this, was that we need to be after the hearts of our kids. And I, I say are like I have them, but I, even with my friends' children, I want to know them as people, and I want to remember that they're not little copies of me. I think sometimes as parents, that can be a temptation. This is a little mini-me, and they're not acting like me, but I'm going to make them act like me, and they're not going to act like you. They're whoever. And I said Susie last night, and there was actually a Susie in here, and I completely embarrassed her, so... I said, when Susie goes online and visits Cosmo, and she was like, I don't look at Cosmo. (laughs) So I'm sorry. There was a Susie. Sorry. Um, But how are you instilling a healthy relationship? What does a healthy home look like? And a healthy home is one that models the love and the grace and the beauty of Christ. And it is one where you are actively involved in the lives of your children. And where you think about how we can come to God with our stories wherever we are. And we can say, this happened today. This happened today. I'm struggling with this. And we can just lay it all out there. And he doesn't say, well, that's nice. Have a nice day and walk away. No, 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 no. He, he communes with us. Right? He longs for that relationship where there can be the speaking into all of these areas of our lives and helping us grow in different areas. Is that the kind of culture you're creating in your home for your kids? And see, it's easy for us to talk to the boys about this kind of stuff, right? Pause. Drink. Okay. It's easy for us to talk to the boys um, because we know, culturally speaking, this is what happens. It's harder for us to talk to the girls. And dads, it's a lot harder for you to talk to your girls, I think. When I spoke at a conference in April of last year where Pastor Foltz found me, um, it was a room full of men. I had grown men coming over to me afterwards saying, I have teenage daughters, and I've never, ever even asked them if they've seen pornography. I've never, we've never talked about it ever. Do you know what's after the hearts of your children? Do you, or do you assume what's after the hearts of your children? I had a father come up to me, and he said to me after one of my conferences, he said, I know my 12-year-old daughter is struggling with something. He said, good morning. And I don't know what it is. He says, but it can't be porn. I don't know why it can't be porn. He just said, it can't be porn. I know it's not a boyfriend. You know, and he goes down through this list of all the things that it can't possibly be. And then he says, I just don't know what it could be. And I said, what gave you permission to knock all those things off the list? Like, what gave you, who told you that it couldn't be any of those things? Did you ask her? Well, no. And it's just like when your kids come to you, Mom, I can't find, I can't find my toy. They're like, well, did you check in your room? It's not in there. That's not what I asked you. Did you actually check in your room? You know, because they always know where it isn't. Like, I looked there. I looked there. You're like, no, did you actually look there? Or are you just assuming that it's not there? We do the same thing. We'll say, oh, well, it couldn't be this. My kids are homeschooled. It couldn't be pornography. We don't have a computer. It couldn't be pornography. They couldn't possibly be struggling with that. But have you actually asked them? And I said to this dad, I said, when is the last time you sat down with your 12-year-old daughter and said, tell me what's going on in your life? And he was like, never. He just assumed 
I said, go home, sit down with her, and say, I want you to tell me your story. As if, as if you had to write a book right now. As if I was a best friend you just met in school, and you wanted to tell me all about what's going on. Tell me that. I will not stop you. If you say I'm the worst dad in the world, I'm not going to correct you. Like, you tell me how you are experiencing life right now, because you have to be after the hurts of your kids just like God is after us. And just like he pursues that relationship with us. Do your children know, like we do as children of God, do we know, do they know that they can come to you with anything? With whatever struggles they have? Are you investing in them? Or are you just kind of standing back and saying, well, you know, if it gets that bad, we'll intervene, but have a nice life. Or we won't talk about that unless it becomes an issue. Or are you being proactive? Are you actively pursuing them? Like, you know, when you go dating, right? You don't just kind of be like, if you like the person, I don't know. Um, I'm single, obviously. I'm an expert in this. <laughs> I would think that if you like the person, you pursue them. right? You love them, so you chase after them. You seek after them. You're texting them. At ran- no, you're not texting. My generation texts them at random hours of the night. Like You're wanting to know what's going on. How was your day? You don't just hand them your number and then six months later randomly get married. Like That's not how that process of knowing somebody and loving somebody works. And we have a generation of children that are being raised up craving relationship. And one of the first relationships that's targeted by pornography, that's targeted by pedophiles, that's targeted by these predators that would come in and take your kids from you is their relationship with you as their parents. And especially with the dad-daughter relationship, men love to take advantage of that one and to sever that one. Because if you think about it as fathers... All the fathers in the room, I'm just going to guess. But if a rather seedy character walked onto the playground and your baby girl was on a swing, doesn't like the spidey sense kick in? Yeah, isn't there kind of like a, you know, maybe we'll go get ice cream. <laughs> We're going to leave. Or isn't there kind of like the bravado, you know, like the, the look, you know, like the, that guy thing, like they lock eyes with them, like you come anywhere near this swing set and it's going to be on. But online, you're not there. Your eyes aren't on them. And your kids can be having complete conversations and developing emotional intimacy and dependency on these people. And you can't fight for them because you don't know it's happening. How are you pursuing the hearts of your daughters? How are you chasing after the hearts of your children? How are you loving them like God loves us. And I love, I think it's in Matthew. I think I marked it, maybe not. Um, Matthew seven eleven, I believe. Where he says, um, you know, how many of you, if, you're, if your child asks for bread, you give them a rock? You know? Or if he, they want food, you're going to give them a snake. Like, Here. We don't do that. He says, if that's, how you love your children, then how much more do you think God loves you? Like He gives you good things. And when I think about the, the love of God for us, 
which was a love that pursued us even when we were actively rejecting him. It's a love that pursued us at his own expense and his own shame. And it's hard. I would think it's hard to parent. And there might be shame in your kids making these kinds of mistakes. And I think that's what makes parents sometimes react the way they do. And it can be easy to say, you've messed up. And because it hurts, because you feel like failures, you push them further away. When really the reality of the love of God is that that's when he sweeps in even more. Christ came to be a physician to those who needed a physician, not to those who had their lives together. He came with the broken, and he sat with the broken. And I'm just, how are you modeling that love to your children, that love that pursues them, that comes for them, that chases after them, and knows that they're going to mess up in one way or the other. They're not going to be perfect. You're not going to be perfect parents. I'm sorry. You're not going to have perfect kids. I'm sorry. I know. Adorable now. (laughs) There's an adorable little baby in a car seat on the front, and so now I'm completely distracted. (laughs) They're not going to be perfect. But we have a perfect God who gives you guys wisdom if you ask for it. A perfect God who created your children. And I think delights when you as parents love your children like he loves you. I think there's a delight in that. And there's a joy in that when you embrace the unique personality and creation that he has entrusted to you. And you're going to mess up. They're going to mess up. We are all going to mess up. But there's always grace for us. And I want to encourage you to be willing to have these hard conversations, not in a sense of judgment or in a sense of, heaven help me, if you get pregnant before you are 16, I will kick you from here to Houston. I don't know how far away Houston is, but you're going to, I'm going to, my mom would always be like, I'm going to kill you. (laughs) When my brother was engaged, his aunt-in-law was insisting that they had to be having sex. No, they weren't. And my mom's like, oh, no. Oh, no. My brother was 27. Oh, no. She said, he knows that if he were to do that before they were married, I'd kill him. (laughs) That's my mom. (laughs) I'd kill him. (laughs) I just want to encourage you guys to have these hard conversations and to chase after your kids with grace and understand that the culture they're growing up in is so different from the culture you're growing up in. The culture teenagers are growing up in now is different from even the culture I grew up in. Remember, I had a life before tech. They, they didn't have one. I had girls here last night who went to one of the women who was here and was like, what's the big deal with women watching porn? Like, that was huge for my generation when we started speaking out. It was shameful. It was stigmatized. It was horrible. And now, 10 years younger than us are like, everybody is doing that. We've done it all of our lives. So understand that their world is different than what you think it is. And the only way you're going to know is if you're chasing after them. And when you build up those relationships and when they know they can come to you and there's not shame, they can come to you if somebody touches them inappropriately. They can come to you if somebody asks them to do something and you're not going to shame them. If they know that you're going to give them wisdom, that you're going to walk through them with this, that you're going to love them with this relentless and unconditional love that says you can screw up and I'm still going to be here for you, that rips away the power of things like pornography 
and of things like pedophiles and predators who are trying to make them dependent on them. But when I as a woman, or if I'm a teenage girl, can look at this creep online and say, you know, that's not love because my daddy loves me and he doesn't ask me to do things like this. Like, I don't need that. That's what we're wanting, this love that says God loves me because I see it through my family. Um, that's all I have. I'm going to open it up for questions if you're brave enough. And you guys are complaining about it being cold, but holy cow. <laughs> like, this is nuts. Does anybody have, thank you, does anybody have any, any questions? I want to give you an opportunity, and I want you to be brave. <laughs> Nobody. Yes? In today's society, if you compare that to like when I was a kid, when you were younger, you know, well, here's an example: a Game of Thrones. I so said we have we have six adult children, and I would say every one of them watched most of the series. And it's funny because they would say, "Oh, you wouldn't like it." No, you wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, the the next generation just accepts that kind of right. content like it's okay. Like, right. You know, and we you know, growing when when our kids are grown, we wouldn't even put HBO on our Right. But, you know, so now the definition of pornography has, has changed. But the effect on our humanity hasn't. Right. Right. And I think that, that speaks to that too. There, um, it was funny that you mentioned that because I remember my driver yesterday at the other conference that I was at, she said that when she was growing up, the big scandal was like Blue Lagoon was released and there was like a skinny dipping scene. And it was like, that was the big scandal of whatever generation she's part of, which I think she's 46. So, I mean, this is, this is how quickly this is evolving. So you're right. You went from Blue Lagoon was like the huge scandal of the day to Game of Thrones is on prime time. You know. So... How do we, I think we still, it's still the same, I want to say like immunization to it in a way of, and you'll find this even in secular groups that are trying to campaign against pornography, um, that the, we have to elevate the, the strength and beauty of real human relationships and real human love. And when people experience that, they can recognize a counterfeit. You've got, you've kind of got the, the trick here of, entertainment versus like dependency, right? So HBO is a, or Game of Thrones is like an entertainment. We watch it for kicks and there's sex worked into there. And that's more of like a gateway into other stuff. And I'm not saying it's okay to watch. That's not what I'm saying. But they have grown up completely immune to that. They've seen it all the time. So that's more of, oh yeah, I've seen that moving on to something else. And they kind of make the jump into pornography. So for Christians, I think it's, we were talking on the way here, that our bodies were created for God's glory. So when you're able to kind of instill that in them, because it's glorifying God to see people like that, and should our entertainment choices glorify God? And so that's how you, I would handle like an entertainment sexuality, where I just watch it for fun, and as opposed to more of like the vulnerable, I'm dependent on this, I watch this to escape, which is a big one with girls, I watch it to escape, I watch it to cope, I watch it to feel better about myself. Um, it's a huge one for teenage girls, that's why they turn to it and kind of drug up on it, because that's what it does for them. So there's, I feel like there's two different things at play, the entertainment value of, is this healthy, good entertainment for us to watch, or is it training us to be okay with worse stuff? Um, 
And then there's the other aspect of it. Is this something I'm depending on and going to for some kind of release or for help? Does that make so, sense? Yeah, that's the concerning part is the, is the formative aspect of right. watching that embedded in entertainment. Right. Because that becomes part of who we are. Right. And it's, that's a part of the grooming process as well is to like immune, like get kids immune to that idea of like, oh, um, like a pedophile might touch a child and see how the kid reacts. And then if the kid kind of jumps back, they'll, they'll lay off a little bit. It can take years for someone to groom a child. This doesn't happen in like two weeks. And then they'll go back in and they'll try again. And they want to get them used to the idea. So I would say sex and entertainment is just the devil's way of getting us used to the idea of pornography. Like, oh, we see it on TV all the time. Why is it different watching two real people doing it? You know, so it's, it's, it's scary. This is... This is the pendulum culture that we're in right now, of like this, the renewed tech sexual revolution in a way. Does that make sense? I'm sorry. <laughs> yes? If you would comment on this, I would appreciate it. And one thing that we do uh, with our kids is we, we try to make our home a safe place to have a different opinion from what we have. Now, which is not to say that, oh, well, if your opinion is different, then you can do whatever you want. Right. Um, but, you know, I mean, our... Sometimes we'll talk, depending on the issue, we'll talk with them. Sometimes maybe we will let them have a little, you know, sometimes it's just our way because we know better. But we want our kids to know that, um, you know, they're not going to get condemned for, oh, you don't share my opinion, you loser, you know. And, and that it's, it's okay to think differently. I mean, I'm not, I, I want them to be able to, if they do think differently, if one of my kids does um, enjoy porn at some point, um, I want them to know that they can come to me and they can say, you know, I do like this and I don't see the problem. Rather than think, if I express an opinion that's different from mom, she's just going to condemn me so I'm going to tell her. Hmm. You know what I mean? um, so in case you guys didn't hear it, the, the culture they try to establish in their home is one where uh, their children are allowed to have differing uh, opinions from and it's not necessarily a condemnation of, no, that's wrong, correct? Like, it's not like, no, don't do that. Sometimes it is. Well, sure, but, sometimes. But you don't want their, them to fear that from you. So. Right. We, we're not, we may or may not allow them to go the way they think mm -hmm. it's okay to go. But we want them to know that seeing things differently doesn't make them bad human beings. Right. You know, it doesn't make them, because when I grew up, um, if you even thought differently from mom and dad, it's because you were just a horrible, shameful human being. Right, right. So yeah, we definitely don't encourage that culture of like you're a terrible person because you, right. right. So um, one thing I do encourage parents is if you find out your child is watching pornography to ask them how it makes them feel. Exactly. Because the fact of the matter is they watch it because they like it. Like if they didn't, they wouldn't watch it. Um, ask them how in that moment it's making them feel. So in the moment, and usually they're going to say, like, I like it. And they're afraid that you're going to lose your mind when they say that. Yeah, that's what I mean. uh, Yeah, so don't lose your mind when they say that. Um, but the other two questions to follow up with that are, how did you feel before? What led, maybe there's something that led them there. Were you feeling sad? Were you feeling, this is huge, this is bigger for girls, I think, than for guys. Um, I don't know, obviously, I'm not a man. But I will talk with them about this. I have a lot of guy friends who work in this kind of field. But 
is, is there something that led you? Like, did you feel bad? Did you have a headache? You know, how did you feel before? How did you feel during? And how do you feel after? And get an understanding of what their experience is. And I think it'll give you an opportunity to speak into a different part of it. Because it's more important as a parent that you, if there's like a continuum here, and I talked about this last night, we get a little concerned about like the end of the branch where the fruit is, right? This is the fruit. And we don't like the fruit, so we just hack it off. But the tree is still the same. So guess what? When the fruit comes back, it's the same fruit. So if we're not willing to kind of walk back the branch a little bit and figure out what's going on, we're not going to change the end here. And I think as parents, you have a unique opportunity. If you can figure out that, that line, if you can figure out that process of speaking into a place sooner in the process than pornography, and that's what the point of this is. Like You want to be speaking back here to the heart of the issue, back to the root of it, and what's leading them to that, because that's what's going to lead them and leave them vulnerable to all kinds of other, what we call, what I call counterfeit, counterfeit loves. Um, so how do you kind of trace that back and be willing to let them tell you without you freaking out about their experience with it and really have a chance to introduce the gospel and love of God further back in the process? Because one of the things for teenage girls, too, is you cut off the pornography and they turn to things like self-harm or eating disorders because it was never pornography to begin with. That wasn't the real issue. It was something else. So you have to be worried about the heart issues, the heart deep-seated things that might be leading them there and try to find those. Do you have a question? Okay, I wasn't sure. <laughs> so I have a 19, 21-year-old, or I have 19, 21-year-old daughters. We're wrestling with issues in this realm. Um, and something he said was helping me to think about some types of communication. He said, you know, get, a few, get them to express, and one of them is not terribly eloquent, but get them to express how they felt before, during, and after What does the research say they should be feeling after? Um, Well, that's actually going to depend more on, actually, that's going to depend more on the culture that's created in the home or the culture that's created around it, like what they understand to be. um, The after effect is more like how they react to the stigma of what they've just done. So for teenage girls who watch porn, it's no big deal to them. Afterwards, they're like, "Eh, whatever. It's kind of the idea that Paul puts forth when he talks about the law and how the law exposed sin. So these girls have grown up watching porn. Statistics say one out of three watches it once a week. Okay, This is normal for them. So there isn't an afterwards of, oh my goodness, I feel terrible about myself. My generation, there was, because there was a humongous stigma. Um, it was only what guys did. And I was told that in college. Like, women don't do this. So for me, after I would watch it, I would feel horrible. And I would go in and I would bang my head against the bathtub. I would try to burn myself with the water. I was full of anger and shame. But that's because that was a reaction to the culture. Um, so that's the reason you ask that is to figure out how they're interpreting what they've just done. Do they understand what they've just done? If they're like, I feel great and I move on with my life. Okay, then we need to talk about the wrongs, and we need to address pornography. But if they're like, I feel horrible, and I feel ashamed, and I feel terrible, then they know it's wrong. And now we need to talk about how to, to help them out of it. So there really isn't like a, they should feel this way afterwards. That's more of a gauge for you of understanding how much they've accepted this. If it's still 
if it's totally acceptable or if it's something that they're actively struggling with, like, I'm trying to get out of this. I feel horrible afterwards and I need help. Or if it's a, this is part of my life, I don't care. It's two different kind of responses. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Change your mind. So um, I was here last night with my mm-hmm. daughters. And How'd that go? It went well. Okay. Uh, but A grooming mat? Yeah. Okay. So, if, what, you, what is your, um, how would you recommend, like, I think they're a little freaked out. Now they're kind of like. That's great. Uh, Sorry about that. Who, who's, who's trying to groom them? Right. For the record, I like terrified her children last night, apparently. That's what's happening. <laughs> Nurture them back to like not freaking out. Okay, so her daughters came last night, and I don't even—I didn't even talk about it that long. At some point, I skimmed over grooming pedophiles and evil, horrible people. And and I I know I freaked out a few teenagers last night because they came up to me afterwards like, ah, like I didn't know what this meant, and I'm so so. How do you how do you not make them paranoid of people, like scared of every single. Right. So I think, first off, they're obviously aware now, so aware is good. Uh, <laughs> aware is great. Uh, just let them know that, like, wow, how do we... I think the fact that they're asking you means they're going to be just fine, to be honest with you, because now they, it's on their radar. So how do you calm those little hearts down and kind of, it's okay? Um, maybe just... That's a great question. Maybe just affirm to them the safety that's in your home, you know, and that you, they don't need to be afraid of being out. That these people are like they're not everywhere crawling around trying to find them. Okay, it's not like it's not like they're going to walk out the front door and there's going to be one standing outside tomorrow. Like, <laughs> um, but maybe just talk to them about how to know when an adult is safe and trusted. Like, talk about that issue. And just talk about boundaries and let them know. Like, they're not gonna, they're not gonna kidnap them, okay? Those are so rare. We hear about them all the time. But they're, these are people that are gonna try to trick them. These are people that are gonna try to manipulate them. So if you just say, honey, I'm pretty sure we're fine. But if anybody ever tries to touch you, or if anybody ever asks you for pictures, you come to us and we will help you. Okay, but don't freak out. Don't be worried because they, they will ask them for things. They're not just going to, it's not like the person who's trying to hang out with you a lot. It's the person who's trying to push those boundaries. And if you think your girls are tough and they have boundaries and they have this on their radar, I really think they're going to be okay. There's going to be this initial freak out of like, what do you mean there are bad people in the world? Like, so just kind of like, it's okay. You know, this is, don't let them. Keep your boundaries. You're strong. I'm proud of you. And if anybody ever asks you to do something inappropriate, we are going to intervene for you. I think I have to cut it off for church, church. But I'm going to to be here um, around. So you guys are welcome to 
to find me and ask me questions. So. We've got a table in the fellowship hall that has um, Jessica's uh, book on there. She also has another one that's coming out very shortly, yep. and you can sign up for information on that. Uh, her blog is beggarsdaughter.com, so you can continue the discussion there or uh, follow up. And then you can also talk with Jessica after worship today. She's staying here for worship, so you can talk with her afterwards. So she'll be here for uh, right. And really quick to that too. Sorry, um, I have some eBooks there from Covenant Eyes, and Covenant Eyes is like an accountability software for the internet. I'm, you probably have heard of it. Um, there are some examples of the resources that they had out there on the tables. They have a lot of resources for parents related to things like <laughs> cyberbullying, parenting kids online. Um, how to keep your kids safe online, that whole thing. They have resources like that, so you can look at them there, and then you can go onto their website. They're free and get them, but it's all out there as well. little plug. Perfect. Perfect? Okay. Thank you, guys. I'm sorry. Should we pray, or are you guys good enough to pray on your own? <laughs> Y'all are dismissed. <laughs>